Welcome to Season 2 of the Adult Children Voices Across America Speakers Meeting Podcast. You can attend this meeting live on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Pacific Time using the Zoom ID 848-5208-0640, password 061120. For more information about adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families, visit adultchildren.org. The following speaker share from LAW was recorded on October 21st, 2021. Well, hello, everybody. I am very grateful to be here. My name is Ellie, and I am from Mundelein, Illinois, and um, which is just outside Chicago. And um, I am very grateful to share my experience, my strength, and my hope with you. Um, it is a, a blessing and a, and a privilege to, um, to, to suffer and to have pain and to see how um, that was woven into who I have become in my life today um, through all of that. I have learned to become grateful for my sufferings in life, grateful for my pain, because it has brought me to the place that I am in my life today. And for that, I would never change that um, because of what, uh, what I'm becoming more and more in my life today. So to give you a little background on myself, um, I have um, been in the ACA program for about 38 years. I, I really started new in ACA uh, when it was very new. It had just come from California to Chicago and maybe was two years old. And I was attending meetings at that time. I sought to, um, to improve my life. I was tired of feeling... Um, uh, that dichotomy between the, you know, my, my mature self that was growing and the devastation of the child uh, within uh, the parts that I, I wanted to shun and put aside that I didn't want to work on and work through. And yet I knew I wanted to do that. I wanted to be feeling more whole. I wanted to feel um, uh, loving and accepting of that child within that I have come to love very deeply. Um, uh, my family of origin was uh, uh, quite a mess. Uh, my dad was the alcoholic in our family. He was an architect. He lost a couple of, of his own personal firms because of the alcoholism. And when I was born, two older brothers, myself and a younger sister, um, he uh, had told me that he was the worst when I was born and then even got worse after that. And um, he got sober. I was one of the lucky ones, though. My dad got sober when I was 12 and he had 13 wonderful years in, in Alcoholics Anonymous before he died at the very young age of 50 from cancer back in 83. And um, my dad was a was like Jackie Gleason. For those of you who may be a little older and may know that old show, The Honeymooners with Jackie Gleason, that was my dad. He he had that demeanor. He had that look. He was a heavier man, a louder man. And yet there was a softness to my dad that I rarely ever saw. Um, 
and that that uh, that interfacing of wanting to be loved, wanting to love, and wanting to pull back. My mom had um, made this beautiful canopy to go on the um, on the bed that I I shared with my sister of four years younger, and we called it our princess bed. It was this beautiful canopy bed, and it was my place that I could go and feel. Uh, uh, like a princess, I could feel safe. I, I remember thinking like somebody's going to come and save us, you know, somebody's coming as we had the door closed and my dad would be screaming or I would hear my brothers being beat or my mom being slapped and things happening in the house and dishes being thrown. And uh, that was my little safe haven taking care of my little sister. And uh, until um uh, you know, the, um, the, the drawbridge would be, come crashing down and, and um, uh, tr- trauma would enter the, the room with the screams and the, uh, the craziness that happened in my family. And, you know, I could go on and I could tell you so much about those days, but, you know, I'm so thankful that I have so much more to share with you now about how things are in my life today. And I pray that, and I hope that you will come away from this meeting feeling a hope, feeling uh, encouraged, feeling that no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you went through, no matter what you're going through, that you can not only survive, because I was, a, I am a survivor. I am a survivor. And, um, but I'm more than a survivor. I have taken that, that, and fashion that pain into something good in my life today, that not only have I come up and out of that muck in the mire, but I have had the privilege to help many others. I have had the privilege to raise six children with my husband of 38 years. And, um, you know, through our difficulties, I'd love to tell you, I've been that, I'm the one, I'm that perfect parent, you know, with all these years of, of uh, ACA and, but no, I, I am not that perfect parent. And I have done many, many things in my life that I would do over, I would redo. I would love to have that chance to redo. And I think that's the power of program too, is realizing that there are not, there is not a redo. I can't go back and redo that time, but the sweetness of it for me is that I can capture what I am in today and I can change it with the blessing and the help of sponsor and God and the 12 steps and really just being authentic and being honest. I think honesty has an awful lot to play um, in my story. Um, Being honest, uh, beginning to just lay down where I have been and admit it, you know, not to excuse my behavior through the years for where I I wish it was different, where I caused harm, where I caused harm to myself and others. Um, but that I could I could lay it down and say, okay, so from today, you know, or at this moment, uh, and, and, you know, I love that we have a saying in program that's progress, not perfection. And I, I capture that. I hold that dear to me because I will never be perfect. This side of, of earth, I will never be that person. I am never going to be perfect here, um, but I am willing. And I think that's very powerful in the step, in the step of um, this process, rather, of of this journey of life is that I am willing, I am willing 
to have things be different in my life today. That wasn't always the case in my life. Um, growing up in the alcoholic home, you know, the traits that we have, I had every one of them, uh, and many of them were, were friends to me. Uh, for example, um, when, you know, I don't know if any of you know, the um, there was an old TV show, I'm 63, so I'm going back to some, some of those shows from before Lost in Space was the name of the show, and, and the, uh, yeah, some of you are shaking your head, yep, you remember and it was a, you know, the, these people would go up to space and, uh, and, and when they would go out, they would journey out of the spaceship and they would do their thing. And then if there was danger, they would say, hurry up, get back to the ship, get back to the ship. And everybody would get back to the ship and you would see this clear glass come up, this force field, and it would come up and it would, it would latch and it would lock and everybody was safe but you could see the aliens, you could see them there and they were right up to the glass and there they were. And they were scary and big and awful, but they couldn't get in. They would pound, they couldn't get in. They would try, they couldn't get in. And you know, that's how I felt in my life. I, I would have the danger happen. Things would happen. My dad would be screaming. My mom was a maniac. She was uh, oftentimes worse than my dad. Um, because she was trying to handle raising four children and um, trying to figure out where she was going to put the next meal on the table. Um, and um, it was just such a, you know, just a, a terrible thing. And um, so I learned to put my force field up, you know, she would scream at me, my dad would scream at me and I would just, I would see them. There they were, those aliens, those ugly monsters, you know, to me. And I would just put that force field up like, you can't get me. Nope, can't get me. And um, that was that served me really well in my life, really well, until I got older, until I had conflict in a work environment that I needed to handle, until I was married and I had a conflict with my husband, as all marriages do until I had conflict and needed to address uh, something with one of my kids that were being wayward, going wayward, things were happening. Um, and so that trait, uh, some of those traits that served me well, I, I had to change. I had to say, nope, I got to handle this. You know, I, I have to listen. And I learned not to listen well, because hearing what I heard wasn't good for me. It was injurious to me. It was hurtful. It was not good. And I had to shift that through the years to think, oh my gosh, Ellie, you have to listen, you know, and I had to learn to, um, uh, to, to talk to my, my little kid, you know, that, that, that little kid for me, um, I, I, I do believe we all have a child within. And um, when I am feeling super stressed, it hits me in my chest. And so I take my hands and I put it on my chest and I feel the warmth of my hands kind of penetrating into my chest. And I just feel like, okay, all right, I'm taking care of you. Um, my, to my inner child, I say, all right, I'm, I'm going to take care of you. We're going to be all right. And that's very helpful to me. And I started to do that journey also to pray. I am a Christian. I don't make any qualms about that. This is my story. I love the Lord with all my heart. Um, 
He has carried me through so much trauma in my life. And, um, and I have asked him to walk the journey with me and heal me. And as I do that, I am very conscious of the scarring that has happened in my, to my, to myself. Um, some of it has been what I have uh, endured as a, as a person, um, molestation, the alcoholism, different things in family, and also the things that I have done to myself, you know, um, the, the way that I have injured myself through my own rebellion in my life, um, through my own kind of talking to the hand mentality that uh, I had to learn the hard way. You know, it's an interesting thing how our, how our parents can um, try to raise us. Um, you know, I'll speak for myself, how my parents tried to raise me a little bit too strict, I might say. Um, my, my father was a very strict man. Uh, and I think that's why I really went into rebellion. There was not a not a play, you know, wasn't a balance. Um, Ellie, see how that goes and see how that works out for you kind of thing. It was, it was just a not a no stop. Nope, not doing that. So I did go into a lot of rebellion in my teens. Um, but what I had learned was that natural consequence was, was the best teacher, um, you know, speeding and getting the ticket. Well, mom and dad couldn't help me with that. You know, I am stopped alone with a police officer there and I'm speeding. So I get the ticket, a natural consequence to my behavior. Um, I was one of the fortunate ones to be in Alateen when I was 12 years old. It's a program for kids of alcoholics. And I was one of the fortunate ones to be back in Alateen back in like 1970. Um, and from Alateen, I went into to, um, young, young Al-Anon, it was called, because there was no, there was no ACA back then um, in the Chicagoland area. It was barely in California. And uh, I tried to fit in there, but I, I just didn't, I wasn't married at the time. I, I really wasn't fitting in that well. And then ACA came into being and I went to those meetings, but, you know, back in those days, the, um, the ACAs were extremely angry. You know, we did not have the blessing of having what we have today by, I mean, certainly there wasn't the red book that only came out in, in 2006, um, certainly there wasn't any of our meditation books or any of our literature. We were really looking at l &N literature. We were looking at AA literature. That's pretty much all there was. But the people that were in the group at the time that, of the meeting in Chicago that I was at were just very angry all the time, angry. They would just share about how angry they were. And, you know, I had to leave that group and um, we ended up, I ended up getting married and we moved uh, about 45 minutes away. And I ended up co-founding a group in Libertyville, Illinois, uh, 30, 33 years ago, which I still uh, am uh, quite a regular at and, and um, uh, attend. I do a lot more of, of sponsorship than I feel like I really need it per se in my life today. But the the program is very near and dear to me, and I I love spreading the, the message and twelve stepping, and sponsorship and mentoring things like that is very helpful um, for me as well as for that per the, the other people. But um, 
you know, one thing that I have learned is that the scars that I carry, uh, that I have, you know, like if you look, if you could see very closely on my neck, you would see that I have a, I have what's called a necklace scar. I have a scar that runs across my, like where my necklace is. I have the scar that's there. When I was 17 years old, I had a goiter up in my throat and the, the doctor took it out. And instead of cutting me, you know, from, from the jawline down, he cut me across. And, and it, I remember how awful it hurt when I had to have that surgery. It was, it was pretty painful. And um, then in time, that pain went away, but the scar never did. You know, the scar is there. It's not super evident, but it is there. Um, and it's a reminder to me about pain in my life at that time that was born out of the, the, the goiter that was in my throat. I liken that to my life today in the pain throughout my life, that there, there had been pain and that, that it had to have surgery. You know, I had, if I had left that goiter in my throat, uh, I, it would have ki killed me probably by now. I probably wouldn't have been able to swallow through the years and such. And so the doctor had to remove that. And it makes me feel about the things in my life that needed to be removed, um, oftentimes with help. I remember having an alcoholic boyfriend that I was sure was just the one, you know, I, I you know, I made every excuse for his alcoholism. Um, I was 20, 20 years old, very much in love, you know, so I thought, but what I, I came to see is that I was, I loved the fact of being in love, not so much who I thought was loving me, you know, I, I came to realize and see that somebody that physically or sexually abused me and yell, it was emotionally abusive. That's not love. You know, love is patient and kind and, and long suffering and enduring and it's considerate and love is kind. And those are none of the factors of what uh, this, this person that was in my life was like. And so I remember how difficult it was to sever that relationship. I remember um, in the thoroughs of that alcoholic relationship, a couple of years into it, I remember he was a police officer and um, I had come to the house in my fantasy. You remember earlier in my talk, I had talked about the my canopy, right? My bed that was my, my princess haven, right? And so um, I remember thinking like, oh, being in his house and I didn't live with them, but I was there often enough and, you know, walking into the house and, oh, this room will be the nursery and this, oh, this will be, you know, oh, this house is going to be just wonderful for us. And I remember thinking about how wonderful life would just be if he just stopped drinking, how wonderful things would be. And in the midst of all of that, having the, my own pain and suffering because of what I allowed. Um, we have this wonderful saying and program that we do teach people how to treat us. You may have not, may have heard of that, maybe not. It's more of an Al-Anon slogan, but it's one that registered greatly with me that we, uh, that I teach people how to treat me. 
And in those years, I taught this man to treat me poorly. I taught him through staying. I taught him through um, enduring the screaming and the beating and everything else that it was okay, you know, because I kept coming back again, thinking it was going to be different that next time. And it just never was. And I remember one day, um, coming into his house and he was so angry because I was there and he wanted to bring this other woman home. Uh, and I'm there. And I remember how angry I felt the insanity of alcoholism. And, um, I, um, I left and I came back, uh, the next day and he, he was a police officer. He had his gun on the ironing board. And I said to him, I'm so angry with you, I could kill you. Well, I wasn't meaning I could kill him, like pick up the gun, shoot him, kill him. I was just beyond frustrated and angry. And honestly, when I look at it now, it was more with myself for what I allowed, um, for what I was taking that innately, I knew it wasn't what I wanted. It, it wasn't what God wanted for me. And he looked at me and he said, well, Ellie, pick it up, go ahead. Do you know, it was in that moment that I had a God moment in that moment. I do feel like, like I just had this pressure within me of staying like, stop, stop, get out, get out. And I, I remember that moment. And I, and I mean, I was so angry and so hurt that I could have picked up that gun. You guys, I could have picked it up, but I didn't, I left, I moved uh, my, my body out of that house and uh, ended up going back a couple days later with some friends in AA who were helping me. And I said, uh, I said, I really do need your help. And so they went to, with that, went with me to the house and got me, um, got my stuff out of there with me. And my friend said to me, Ellie, look on the desk, look. And I looked on the desk and there was this, my favorite picture of us in the frame on the desk. And I looked closely and I thought, what? It, what what's going on in the picture? Well, he had taken the, the picture totally out of the frame and put pinholes of me all on my body from head to toe, all these pinholes. And then he had put placed the, the picture back in the frame on the desk, you know, twilight zone time. I thought, okay, father, thank you for getting me out of here. I have got to get out. It was the process of this insanity that moved me into a serious place of working on myself. You know, there came a time and that was it for me where I just felt enough, enough. I started to have thoughts of suicide, you know, like just driving down the expressway and just thinking like I remember uh, uh, just trying to break from that relationship. And I just had this thought, Ellie, just like turn your car into the guardrail you know, you're doing 65 on the expressway, you'll just go over and you'll be dead, you know? Well, maybe I would have been dead. Maybe I would have been a quadriplegic. Maybe I would have had brain injury, you know? But my, again, that insanity of not thinking about what it could have been, would have been. And um, 
And then doing what I knew to do because of my Alatine days, because of my Al-Anon days, because of, of the little bit of ACA I had beginning to have had at that time, I knew what to do. I knew to pray. I, I knew to ask God to help me. I knew to get on that phone and to call my, my friends in the AA. I mean, I, I never developed a drinking problem, I, um, but I had friends in the fellowship because of the open meetings we went to and things, my family, and after my dad got sober and um, I called them, I said, please help me. I am a mess. I don't want to be a mess, but I'm a mess and I don't want to be. I, I want a good life. And it was that journey of starting to move forward with fear, uh, with trepidation, but with honesty. And I, I just want to just express to you all the importance of being honest. That was such a key for me, searching, searching God as I understand him, um, searching for him, asking for his help, and, um, and being honest. Um, we do not in ACA have a lot of what we call slogans. You know, the slogans would be things like the little phrases, let go and let God, easy does it, one day at a time. Well, I have one of the, I have so many of those that I have used like uh, so many times in my life. But, but one that I started to really, really think about was the one that says, think, think. Ellie, just sit and think. I, I don't know about you, but I was so distracted in the alcoholism in my family of origin that I, I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about doing well in school. I was too distracted about thinking about what was happening in, at home. When I got home, what would be happening there? When I got to my boyfriend's house, what would be happening there? You know, what, what would be happening in the workforce when I was, I, I went through school, I became a, a special ed teacher. I taught for several years. It's, it's only by God's grace that I was able to put myself through college and get a good position and do that because those are the days I was with the alcoholic boyfriend. Um, but to start thinking about myself. And, you know, we have these character defects, right? We have these traits. And I am so thankful that I decided to, to be, be determined to, to take every one of those um, character defects and work through them to the best of my ability so that I could make them more of an asset um, where I could. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, uh, if, if, I, if I peel back the layers on all of the traits, and I know I don't have time to do that, but I'd be happy to come back and, and do some of that in another, in another story if you'd like me to. I mean, I do love speaking when I'm asked to. I don't ever say no because it's, it's my, my way of giving back. Um, but back in the day, we used to have 26 traits. And they were pared down into this 14. And honestly, I wish many of them were not. I wish they weren't because I felt like, I do feel like many of them have power in themselves that we don't talk about. There's one on having low self-esteem. We don't have that in one of the traits of the 14, but that was a separate entity of, a, of one of those traits many years ago. Um, I still have them. Um, 
but you know, I had to look at things like that. I had to look at my my self esteem. I had to look at. Um, I had to ask myself, Ellie, you know, you, you went through school, you got your degree, you're teaching, you're doing well. I, I, I was a, a good teacher. I just retired last year and I, I love teaching. It was a passion of mine. I, I wanted to give to uh, underprivileged kids and those are the kids that I taught. Um, definitely not my socioeconomical background or upbringing. Um, school could not teach me what the on-the-job training <laughs> taught me when I was teaching. And I loved it. It was hard, but I loved it because I became an authentic person. And when we are authentic, um, people know it. You know, when, when I love, people know I'm loving them. When I am in the classroom as a substitute teacher now, um, those kids know I care about them. And I, I may have just have met them, but I care about them. I am, and I, I really do work with the blessing of this program and God's hand and help to be intentional in my life and to be purposeful. To me, I could always be busy. You know, I raised six kids. I still have two home. My 19 and 22 year old are still home. My oldest is 37, six, 35, to think, 35. I've been married 37 years, uh, 38 years. I've been married 38 years. He is almost 30. Okay. He's 36. Anyway, just became a grand a grandchild, uh, mom for the first time. And, um, I'm very uh, involved in my life. Uh, and I don't like to say busy when people say, Ellie, how are you doing? I don't say, oh, I'm busy because I could be busy watching TV all day, which I don't ever do. But um, I could be busy, but I don't want to be busy. I want to be intentional. You know, when this pandemic hit, I spent time in the word. I personally love to, to work, read scripture. I, I love to apply what God is teaching me through the word in my life. Um, I talk to somebody every day. I love having um, conversations with people. I love sharing experience, strength, and hope. I love listening to your story um, and seeing, you know, where does your story align with mine? Uh, you know, how, how do we speak to each other's hearts? How do we hold space for each other? Um, but through this pandemic, I think that is one thing that I really learned well is, um, you know, I say every morning, I have my plan, but God, what is your plan for me? You know, what do you want me to do today? And I have many stories. I'm grateful that I started journaling about what God brought up in my life. Um, uh, today I, I, I sit here and I tell you, I'm grateful today, all the things that I shared with you, plus countless other things I could share with you, you know, my AA friends might call that a drunk log, you know, um, I'm thankful for them because they all have helped me. They have helped me to become the person that I am today. I am passionate. I am kind. I am loving. I care. Um, I'm a better mom today. Um, I think raising six kids, uh, three girls, three boys for as, as crazy as things were, you know, having, you know, four kids in a school at once, you know, four kids in three different schools, having high school, grammar school, uh, elementary school, I mean, I look back at those times and I think, Ellie, how did you do it? You know, I, I mean, it was 
honestly, a day by day thing. Um, what I strive to do today, which which can be a challenge, but I, I do work on it every day is to be present with people. You know, when I am talking with people that I face my, I try not to even have my phone on the table. You know, I put it on silent. I am with them in that time. I've made, as funny as it sounds, I made sure that I've gotten up and gone to the bathroom. I have my water. You know, if I get thirsty, I have that time. I have that time with that person. I feel like it's the best gift that I can give of myself today is my time, my prayer, my love to another person in that regard. Um, one thing I have learned is that, um, you know, I, I think everybody wants to be heard and loved. And I think that's why ACA works so well. I think we learn to hear each other. I, I think it's pretty awesome that we, um, we, have, we can share each other's pain. Um, because as I say to people, as I say to you, our experiences are different, but our feelings are the same. We know how it feels to be, to, to be rejected, to be abandoned, to have those things. And one thing I would really love to share with you as I share to many people, especially newcomers, as I work with them in program over these, you know, 35 years of, of being an ACA, um, I, I say that, you know, be gentle with yourself for as those feelings come up, they are meant to come up. Um, I'd like to liken it to garbage. You know, I have my garbage in my house. It's in the kitchen. When it gets full, I take that garbage and I take it. I can, I can take it to another room and I won't smell that garbage. Um, but after a while, I'm going to smell that garbage, no matter where I put it in the house, in the basement, on the porch, wherever it's going to smell. And our feelings are like that too. My feelings are like that. Um, I, I learned very well to shove my feelings down. It was a protective thing. It helped me at a time in my life. But as I started to grow and wanting to desire to, to grow forward in my life, um, they, they didn't serve me well. I needed to start to let them come up and talk about them as they came up, those feelings. And I, I, I just want to encourage everybody that's listening to me and seeing me that I, I pray that you will do that too. I, I hope that you will um, be gentle with yourself and let those feelings, when they come up, like maybe that's the time to take a look at them. Maybe that's the time. You guys, I cannot tell you how many meetings over how many years I cried. I cried so much in meetings. It almost got to the point where it was embarrassing sometimes. At first it was like, oh, I'm not going to let it. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to let this. And then I just became easy with myself. I just got gentle and said, you know what? Okay. All right. All right. Um, I'm thankful that I learned not to fix people, you know, not to be that person to stand up and go get a tissue and hand it to that person. No, I didn't want a tissue. I needed to let those tears just come. I needed to just let myself cry. And um, that was very healing for me. I, I really appreciate when people don't try to fix me, when they don't tell me it's going to be okay, 
when I don't get handed a tissue, that people just hold my heart a little bit. They just hold that space and they just let me cry. They just let me be. Um, it's beautiful. It, it is healing um, because you can't fix me. I can't fix you, but I can allow you space to be who you need to be in that moment. And, you know, that's been very healing in my feelings. It's been very healing in my emotions. And um, it's helped me to be able to process things in my life. And um, I do want to touch on, I know I only have a little bit of time left. Uh, maybe I'm seeing 10 minutes, if that's correct, Daddy. Um, but I would like to very much touch on my forgiveness story. Um, you know, I, I did talk about, you know, being molested. I did talk about having uh, a very abusive uh, father, uh, alcoholic dad, and I, a boyfriend. And, you know, boy, I could bullet point a whole lot more for you guys. But, um, you know, I have learned the power in forgiving I have learned that it doesn't matter what the person has done. I, I, have, I have a love for myself enough that I desire to forgive no matter what the person has done. And you know what? It's not so much for them. It's for me. Because the years that I did not forgive somebody, you know what? They didn't even know it. But I knew it. And it started to change me. Because in my, in my space within myself, if I have anger, it's going to turn to resentment, which will turn to hatred eventually. And that takes up rent-free space in my head that I don't want there. I don't want to give rent-free space to anybody. And so I, I, I began to, to desire to choose to release any, any harms that were done to me. Not because they deserved it, guys, but because I wanted to be free. I began to learn about freedom. And what freedom really is, is being able for me to live this life without thinking of that person that harmed me and think, oh, that person. I began to pray for them, ask God to, to take that um, to take that, uh, that, that anger, to take it, to release me from it. And, you know, it's, it may sound funny to you, but I, I sense a difference in myself for many, many years now. When I look at people, I sense it in my eyes. I feel it in my face. I feel it in my, in, in my very being. I feel a, a peace, a calmness, a love, and even a love for the person that harmed me. Because this life, I only get to live one time. And I don't want to live it with, um, with having hatred and anger towards another person. And I think I love a lot better today because I choose to forgive. I choose to let that be. And that is, and finally, I'll say, I'm sorry if you hear my dog is whining at me and I am ignoring her because I'm the only one home and she probably wants to play and I can't do it. Um, so I just wanted to say that the power of my choice is pretty incredible. The power of all of our choice in life. I mean, I, I had to really sit and just think about choice for a while. Like I get to choose how I live my life. I didn't get to choose what happened to me in my life before, but I, got, I get to choose it today. 
And for many years, for all my life, since I, I learned a better way, I get to choose. And I'm pretty happy in my life. I got to choose to work through a, a lot of difficulties with my husband. I got to choose to work through wayward difficulties with my kids. I got to choose to, um, to teach for many years. I got to choose to retire last year. I get to choose so many things. My friends, who I spend my time with, what books I read, you know, how I exercise. I love bike riding. I get to choose so many things. And I just want to say, I'm so thankful. My, I hope for you all is that you will think about forgiveness and choice and love and hard work and what hard work moves us to do in this program. It's freedom. And I'm grateful for it. So thank you very much for listening to me. I, I hope that you can leave um, the screen tonight with something significant that you can think about that will help change you. Thank you very much. <laughs>